On today's episode, the Chicago Blackhawks poured out a season-high eight goals in their victory on Friday night against the New Jersey Devils, led by hat-tricks from both Patrick Kane and Brandon Hagel. Unfortunately, though, the Hawks weren't able to carry that momentum into their next game as they got blanked by Jordan Bennington and the Blues for the second time this season. Then, to wrap things up, per usual, to start off the week will be our Mailbag Monday fan segment where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners live on the show. All that and plenty more right here on Locked On Blackhawks. Your Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Monday, February 28th. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talk and Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you like what you're listening to today, then please be sure to go and follow the podcast. It'll help me out tremendously, and it only takes a quick click of the button. You can also go and leave me a review if you want to as well. And best of all, it's 100% for free wherever you may be listening to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. It's all absolutely for free. And if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. All right. Good morning, everyone. And as always, thank you for tuning into another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks and for making the show your first listen here to start off your week. And to kick things off on the show this morning first, I wanted to start by breaking down the first of the Chicago Blackhawks two games from over the weekend, which came on Friday night against the New Jersey Devils. And let me tell you, folks, I was lucky enough to be in attendance for this one, and it was probably the most fun I've ever had at a Blackhawks game except for game six way back in 2016 when the Hawks forced game seven against the St. Louis Blues. This was probably the best regular season game I have ever been to because um, not only did this wind up being an eight to five final, but there was just tons of back and forth action on both sides. Hawks also converted uh, uh, for three power play goals. um, And of course, both Brandon Hagel and Patrick Kane went on to record hat tricks. I mean, it had everything you could want. Um, everything it, it had everything you could want in a game. Um, just crazy back and forth stuff. The game was actually just bananas. Um, and going back to the show on Friday, one thing I wanted to mention, which is kind of funny. Um, if you go back to that episode on Friday with the potential goaltender battle, uh, looking to be Kevin Lankinen, who was making his first start in well over a month finally returning from a hand a hand injury, uh, facing off with John Gillies for New Jersey, who just uh, has not really had a great season, to put it nicely. Uh, with that being the projected goaltender battle, I did say on Friday's show, you should probably take the over in this one. And I even had uh, a couple of my buddies betting on it because I told them to do so. Uh, but I didn't know that the over still would have hit if the line had been set to 12 and a half. I mean, 13 goals scored in this one on Friday night, and of course, a season-high eight goals uh, from the Chicago Blackhawks. Actually, it ties their season-high, which came not that long ago 
against the Detroit Red Wings. But the first time the Blackhawks had scored eight goals on home ice so far this season, um, it, it was just a crazy game. Super fun to be in attendance for. One of the probably the best home game for the Blackhawks this season, the most fun at least. It was definitely the loudest uh, I've heard the United Center roar this season. Uh, so, so it was just a lot of fun all in all. Um, but even though it was an eight goal performance from the Blackhawks and the offense went crazy, they still played some pretty sloppy defensive hockey, especially in those opening 40 minutes. Um, fortunately the Hawks did score the opening goal of the game, which, uh, came from Brandon Hagel off a a terrible New Jersey turnover and the Blackhawks, if you've been watching them all season, then, you know, they basically got to score the first goal of the game to win. They haven't won a game in which they didn't score the opening goal since way back on January 11th against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I believe it's only happened four or five times total throughout the course of the season. So it always seems to be big for the Hawks to get the first goal. They got it from Brandon Hagel early on in the first period. Um, But then the Devils actually rattled off two in a row. Seth Jones made a bad turnover in his own end. Jack Hughes wound up tying the score just a couple of minutes after Hagel's opening goal. Uh, and then Igor Sharangovich absolutely roofed a shot after the puck kind of bounced up into the air and he grabbed it and found some open ice. So it was actually two to one Devils after uh, the opening 20 minutes. But then in the second period, the Hawks' power play went absolutely insane. They rattled off three consecutive power play goals. Patrick Kane was responsible for two of those. And then the third was also Brandon Hagel's second goal of the game as well. Um, three points just like that for both Kane and Alex Dabrinkit. The Cat had an assist on all three of those power play goals. And of course, both Kane and Hagel already had two tucks there in the second period. Um, but the Devils in, in this one, even though the Blackhawks offense was going crazy, they weren't going to go away quietly. Um, and, and the real killer in the second period for the Blackhawks, when they had all the momentum on their side, their power play was proving to be unstoppable at that point. They allowed Jesper Bratt to get a breakaway opportunity in the final two minutes of the period. Just absolutely unacceptable, something your defense can't do, especially when your goaltender's in his first start in well over a month. The Blackhawks made far too many defensive miscues in this one, and that was a key one at the end of the second. Giving Jesper Bratt that breakaway, he beats Lankinen and cuts the deficit to 4-3 to three after – excuse me, coffee's hitting me, folks – 4-3 to after 40 minutes, and then – in the opening uh, first half of the third, the Devils did go on to tie this game 4-4. Four to four. It was uh, Siegenthaler scoring his first goal of the year on an absolute snipe from out near the blue line. Nothing Lankinen could do on that one. Uh, but that tied the game up 4-4. Four to four. But then the Blackhawks really took over and had a couple of really big goals in just a 40-second span. The first came on uh, a two-on-one from Kirby Dock. This was a nice play by the Blackhawks to get out of their own zone. Caleb Jones gets it up. Doc has a two-on-one, and he recognized right away that the defender, he was just taking away the passing lane. He was daring Kirby to shoot the puck or take it to the net, and finally, Doc made the selfish decision for once, and he needs to do more of this. Just drive the puck to the net as hard as possible and make them defend you. It's going to open up something for you or your teammate one way or the other. You got the man advantage. Just don't force anything. Kirby made the simple play by driving the net, which you love to see, and he made a nifty Forehand, backhand move to beat Gillies and put the Blackhawks back ahead 5-4. to four. And then 41 seconds later, 
Mackenzie Entwistle, a great effort play, backhands a pass to Ryan Carpenter, who was all alone in front of the net. Carpy follows up his own shot, gets the rebound, and stuffs it home for a second goal of the season. I believe that's the second goal now in the last six or seven games uh, after going the first 40-something without a tuck. A uh, big goal there from the fourth line to establish a two-goal lead for the Blackhawks. And uh, that that one really wound up making a difference the rest of the way. The Devils did once again go on to cut into the deficit with Brat's second goal of the game to make it six to five. But honestly, that kind of wound up being a blessing in disguise because that's what allowed the Blackhawks, allowed Patrick Kane and Brandon Hagel to each pick up hat tricks with the empty net. Kaner, of course, gets his first. Um, and what a moment for for me, really. I mean. If you guys know anything about me, Patrick Kane, I got some posters all over. It's my guy. I was there for his 1,000th uh, celebration of his 1,000th NHL game earlier this season. My dog, who's 13 years old, is named Kane. I named him before any of the Stanley Cups, before any of the accolades, anything. I named my dog Kane because even in his first two seasons in the NHL, Patrick Kane was my favorite player right off the bat. So to see him record a hat trick on home ice, it, it was super, I can't even put it into words. It was amazing. Um, and that was actually the first time I had seen a hat trick at the United Center. I did see Jonathan Taze pick up a hat trick in St. Louis a couple of years ago. Uh, but this was the first time I saw a hat trick on home ice. And uh, it, it was kind of funny because I tossed, you know, I had to toss my hat. And of course, you're, you're probably noticing now, for those watching the video version of this, if you're not, Go check out Locked On Blackhawks on YouTube. Every episode is going to have a video version for this podcast now. Uh, but if you're watching the video version, you're probably noticing I don't have my Locked On hat on. And that's because it wound up on the ice following Patrick Kane's hat trick. I wasn't not going to throw the hat. Uh, but now I got to get another one. It was my favorite hat. I wore it all the time. And now, unfortunately, I need to get another. Um, but what was kind of funny about that, too, was everyone threw their hats, of course, after Patrick Kane recorded the hat trick. and then. When Hagel recorded his, no one really had a hat left to throw on the ice because it it already happened. Um, but what a crazy sequence to finish this one off on Friday night. Eight to five win for the Blackhawks and only the eighth time in franchise history that two players recorded a hat trick in the same game for the Blackhawks. So what an incredible way uh, to just wrap up an insane game from start to finish. An eight to five victory for the Hawks over the New Jersey Devils on Friday night. All right, there are my thoughts on a wild and wacky Friday night at the United Center. Coming up in just a moment, I am going to get into the Hawks' frustrating 4-0 loss to the rival St. Louis Blues on Sunday afternoon. But first, I need to talk to you all about Bilt Bar, which is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or even eating healthier, then make sure to include Built Bar in your plan because right now you can get the best of both worlds with Built Bar. Delicious and healthy. In so many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. Are you going to go with raspberry or mint brownie, coconut almond or double chocolate, cookies and cream or peanut butter brownie? Either way you choose, Built Bar is going to make it uh, make it easier to stick to your resolution because of those flavors. They taste so good, you'll actually want to eat them. Unlike some other protein bars, which can be chalky, dry, waxy, or even just taste like a chemical spill. And even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and 
is also good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. And for a limited time offer, go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com with the exclusive promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next Built Bar order. All right, we're back here on Locked On Blackhawks podcast, getting into segment two now on the show today. I also had to talk about the disheartening performance that the Blackhawks put up yesterday in their 4 nothing loss to the rival St. Louis Blues. And once again, folks, the roller coaster ride of a season only continues on for this team. They had an eight-goal showing on Friday night in their victory against New Jersey, but in their very next game, it's almost like the lid was shut on St. Louis's net because nothing was fine in the back of the net for the Blackhawks. And uh, it was actually the second time that they got blanked by Jordan Bennington and the Blues this year in just four meetings. So um, not a, not a very fun game on on Sunday. Polar opposite of the showing that the Blackhawks put up on Friday night. To be fair, though, New Jersey is not nearly on the same level as the Blues are right now. Uh, the Devils, it's hard to imagine, but they're probably having a, a worse season than the Chicago Blackhawks are, at least in terms of uh, in the standings and on the, eye, on the ice stuff. We're not even going to get into the off-the-ice stuff on the show here today. Uh, and the Blues... They're one of the best teams in the Western Conference, and they're on an absolute tear right now. They're one of the hottest teams in the entire league. I believe they've won six of their last seven games now, as well as like 20 of their last 27 or or 28, something along those lines. Uh, Either way, it's not really fair to compare um, the results from those two games with the opponents just being on two completely separate ends of the spectrum. You can see why things went a little bit differently for the Blackhawks. Uh, on Sunday as opposed to Friday. And what really wound up costing the Blackhawks in this one yesterday was just a couple of really poor defensive sequences, which earlier in the show I mentioned that still happened on Friday night. They just got away with it because the offense wound up potting eight goals, which if you've been watching the team throughout the course of the season, you know that's not very common from them at all to put up uh, an offensive showing like they did on Friday. So. On Sunday, um, that wound up catching up to them, their bad defensive sequences. And even in the first period, when it finished nothing, nothing, and it was still a, a pretty good start from the Blackhawks, a good effort against a really good team in the opening 20 minutes, there were still probably three or four high danger opportunities for the Blues where they certainly had a chance to open the scoring. Jordan Cairo had a breakaway like two minutes into the game. Um, he just kind of tried to outweigh Flurry. That didn't end up working out, and he didn't even get a shot off on net. And then he also had a couple minutes after that, he had a wide open net on a two on one. The puck just wound up bouncing over his stick. So the Hawks they got away with their mistakes in the first period, um, but in the second they wound up catching up to them. Uh, and Connor Murphy, man, I really feel bad for Murph because he was getting roasted on Twitter yesterday, but. Kind of rightfully so. It was one of the worst games I've ever seen Connor Murphy play, and he was the culprit here uh, a couple of times in the second period that led to goals 
from the Blues. Uh, and even in the first period, Murphy was not very good. He was credited with three giveaways in his first six and a half minutes of ice time. Uh, Flurry was just kind of able to bail him out and make a couple of remarkable saves there to keep the <clears throat> keep the Blues off the board. But uh, he, he wasn't going to be able to do that forever. Uh, Murphy was the one who coughed the puck up, trying to get it out of his own zone. Should have made the hard play up the boards, just throw it out. Instead, he tried to flip it through center ice, gets gloved by St. Louis, and they go and make a bing, bang, boom, beautiful passing play, which was capped off by uh, Kairou, fittingly, stuffing it into the empty net. His third or fourth grade A opportunity finally winds up in the back of the cage, and that put the, Blackhaw- or put the Blackhawks down one to nothing in the first few minutes of the second period. And then just a couple of minutes later, another poor defensive sequence by Murphy and also Caleb Jones. Both of them um, kind of had a, a brain fart there behind their own net after the Blackhawks had won a defensive zone faceoff. The Blues wind up easily retrieving the puck, and then Robert Thomas set up Pavel Buchnevich in front for his 19th goal of the season to put the Blues up two to nothing. Uh, so just like that, I mean, the Blackhawks put themselves in a big hole against a really good team, and it kind of felt inevitable after, you know, 30 seconds into the period, a minute in, Marc-Andre Fleury already had two or three A-plus stops. It was like, oh my gosh, the Blues are buzzing right now, and that just continued on through the first 10 minutes. I mean, they were absolutely swarming the Blackhawks. They couldn't get it out of their own end. It really could have been four to nothing had Fleury not been standing on his head uh, per usual, he's been the MVP of this Blackhawks team this season. Uh, so two to nothing, thanks to a couple of quick goals by the Blues in the second period. But I think the real dagger for the Blackhawks, what really gashed their hopes, um, was a late power play goal by David Perron. And it came because Caleb Jones just took a horrible holding penalty along the boards. I don't understand what his thought process was there, but that Murphy and Jones pairing were an absolute nightmare. For the Blackhawks yesterday. And this penalty really wound up costing them. I mean, the offense didn't do anything, but to go down three to nothing heading into the second intermission, that was really a, a big backbreaker. And the Hawks' penalty kill had actually been nine for their last 10 during the first uh, four and a half games of their six game homestand. But when you play with fire for too long, you're going to get burned eventually. This is a really good St. Louis Blues power play. And They showed why a beautiful passing play to set up uh, David Perron to put him ahead three to nothing heading into the second period. And that was uh, basically game set match right there when Perron stuffed that one past Flurry. And he actually went on to score his second goal of the game in the opening minutes of the third period, a terrible goal for Flurry to allow, but it really didn't matter at that point. The Blackhawks, I mean, they they weren't going to score four goals to come back and win this one because in their previous three meetings against the Blues this year, they had only scored four goals total. So uh, you can say what you want about Flurry allowing that goal, but it really was not going to matter, especially because in those final 20 minutes, the Blackhawks got outshot 14-7 to by the Blues, just simply not on the same level that they are right now. And even when the Hawks should be at their most desperate, uh, they still wound up getting completely dominated. So a very, very disheartening final 40 minutes to this game after a pretty decent fight out of the gate. As I said, uh, the Hawks made their mistakes in the opening 20 minutes, but for the most part, I thought they were the ones who controlled the pace of the play and had the better scoring opportunities, but the same couldn't be said 
throughout the remainder of the game, and they wind up getting shut out for the second time in four meetings against the Blues this season, dropping the season series three to one. And they have also now lost four of their first five games during the six game homestand. All right, there is my recap of the Blackhawks. Four-nothing loss to the Blues on Sunday afternoon. Coming up in just a minute, it's time to get into our weekly Mailbag Monday fan segment, where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners live on the show. But first, I need to talk to you all about Bet Online. Football season may be over, but Bet Online still has way more odds and info for both pro as college hoops as things begin to ramp up. From game scores, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. Bet online remains your number one spot for all sports betting here in 2022. And it's not just basketball from the NHL to boxing and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and Vegas casino games. Bet online where the game begins. Welcome back to Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Moving on into segment three, before I finish things up here to start off the week, I still have to get into our weekly Mailbag Monday fan segment where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on Lockdown Blackhawks. The first question I wanted to answer today comes from at Captain Pie Double Zero on Twitter, who asked, "Which role slash depth players, either currently on the team or not, would you most want to have to build around through the impending rebuild?" I don't think you can consider Brandon Hagel as a role player at this point. He's past that, so I'm not going to include him in here. But looking at the Blackhawks' bottom six, that's really the biggest question mark. Is who are they going to keep around and are they going to let the young prospects come up and make an opportunity, get an opportunity and try to think about the future. But no one's really stood out all that much to me. I mean, I thought Henrik Borgstrom was going to be maybe a third line piece we'd be interested in, in the future. Philip Kershev really has not been consistent enough. I think to put himself in that conversation, I know he's still pretty young, but He hasn't been all that impressive. He has his flashes, but the consistency has been a huge issue both this season and last as well. So I think Kershev's worthy of getting more opportunities, um, but his clock is starting to tick a little bit. One guy I am super intrigued about, though, is Sam Lafferty, because first off, he's not going to be a costly re-sign. He hasn't put up good offensive numbers by any stretch of the imagination so far in his time with the Blackhawks, but His ability both to get pucks out of the defensive zone, something I've noticed he's very responsible, but also on the forecheck, he's one of the few guys who has the size and the speed to go in there and retrieve a puck. He's good along the boards. He's a swift skater. And while the offensive numbers aren't going to flash to you, I believe he only has one or two points so far with the Blackhawks, the opportunities are there. And even when he's played on the second line at times, I've thought he's looked pretty comfortable there along with some skill guys. So Sam Lafferty is definitely someone who intrigues me. Um, Josiah Slavin, potentially, I thought he looked really good during his first stint up with the Blackhawks. He's kind of 
faded a little bit since, but I'm intrigued by his size combination. And um, I, I think he has a little bit more offense than he's shown us so far in his game. Mackenzie Entwistle is someone who I, I really like what I see. He's still learning. He's still a young kid and the numbers aren't the greatest, um, but the way he is willing to bang along the boards, I love his size. I love his speed. Um, and he's another guy that when he's been given opportunities early on in the season with Jonathan Taves, he actually was making the most of those chances. So I don't think he's a future top six piece, but I think Mackenzie Entwistle is a role player that can kind of give you a little bit of everything. And once he gets a little more ripened at the NHL level, I, I think he's going to be um, a pretty good role player for the Blackhawks. But this is kind of the problem. The Blackhawks haven't done a very good job in their prospect pool in the last three or four years. They don't have very many prospects with high-level abilities, so it's hard to say anyone really is going to be a future piece in that's in the minors right now other than Lucas Reichel. I'm intrigued by Evan Barrett, but he's had a pretty rough go of things so far down in the AHL this season. I thought he was going to be a future bottom six piece, but for him to still not have made his NHL debut at this point, that's certainly a bit concerning. Uh, and then the rest of the Blackhawks prospects kind of with NHL futures all around the back end. So um, up front, it's pretty limited. But in terms of defense, I think Alec Regula is someone who is just going to grow his game more and more. I'm really intrigued about his future because I think he's got more offense than people give him credit for. And he's also a big body. It's just about getting some NHL experience now and learning uh, how to ripen his skills a little bit, how to grow his skills a little bit more. And um, he, he's just kind of getting a taste of what it takes to be successful at the NHL level. So I think Alec Regula is a role player who could potentially have a good future with the Chicago Blackhawks. Wyatt Kalanuck also, I'm kind of surprised about the limited opportunities that he's gotten this season. Although there is kind of a log jam on the back end for the Blackhawks at the moment. Um, but I think Kalanuck is someone who has some good offensive game to him. I don't know if he's ever going to be the best defender, but could be a second power play option or maybe even a first. It's probably Seth Jones's spot, but Seth hasn't scored a power play goal, nor has any Blackhawks defenseman for that matter all season long. So something might have to give there. Um, but yeah, overall, it's really hard to think about the role players that the Blackhawks have in their, in their organization right now. I don't know who's going to be filling out those third and fourth lines in a couple of years. And because of that, I, I kind of get the feeling that they're going to have to go elsewhere and either make moves uh, by trade or through free agency to kind of round out that group to to be competitive once again. I don't know if they have that in their organization right now. The second question I wanted to answer today comes from Rocky Top Outhouse on Twitter, who asked, why are two of the final three candidates for GM baseball guys? Is there any salvaging of this roster or is it a complete sell-off for at least this and the next season. Well, first off, Jeff Greenberg's a baseball guy. Uh, Kyle Davidson is currently the Blackhawks interim GM and Matthew Darsh is uh, in the Tampa Bay Lightning's front office. So only one of those three guys are, are baseball guys. But I will say this. When I was talking with Ben Pope from the Chicago Sun-Times last week, he brought up an intriguing option, which I don't know if Kyle Davidson would be willing to do this, but if the Blackhawks were to hire Jeff Greenberg as their next general manager, it would make a lot of sense for Davidson to still be in a major role to kind of provide the hockey experience and experience within the organization to help Greenberg out. Because 
As many of you know, Greenberg has no professional hockey experience in the front office. He is a fine executive in terms of Major League Baseball, but no one knows if that's going to translate well to the ISO or not, really. I mean, it would be a pretty hard sell to Blackhawks fans, I think, for Greenberg to get the GM job all by himself. So if he were to wind up being the hire, I would expect Kyle Davidson, if that's something he would want to do, obviously, if he doesn't wind up getting the job, maybe there's somewhere else that could be tempting to him. Maybe he's offered a GM job with another team that may draw him out of Chicago. But if he's willing to stay with the organization, apparently they like what they've seen from him and they'd like him to stay on in some way, shape, or form. That would make sense for him to kind of aid Greenberg in, into the, the process of being a general manager and be that kind of hockey expertise on his shoulder to guide him through everything. I do think that's a possibility. Um, but in terms of salvaging this roster, it's tough. I just talked about the bottom six. It's really hard to gauge who's going to be a future piece there. A guy like Ryan Carpenter could be on on the block right now. Henrik Borgstrom could be as well. With the way he hasn't been able to perform so far consistently in his NHL career. Um, there's also Philip Kurashev. Huge question marks surrounding him. Um, these are all guys that you could get trade pieces for if, if you're not certain about their future, if you're the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, but I do expect them to be sellers. I mean, Calvin DeHaan, got to assume he's going to be gone. Marc-Andre Fleury, I know it's a complicated situation. They got to get rid of him. I think they got to get as many draft prospects and um, draft as much draft capital as, and young prospects as they can because right now it's it's clearly not working. And to not have a first-round pick in next year's draft, that's going to hurt if they're not able to net one. I think they got to do everything in their power to go and get that because they don't have a lot of high-end prospects in the system. So it's hard to think the future is going to be bright unless they go out and make trades or they draft very well. So because of that, I do expect them to be major sellers. Um, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with Dylan Strom and Dominic Kubelik. Both guys have been rumored to be on the trade block for quite some time. It would be interesting to see what kind of returns they'd wind up getting, or even if the Blackhawks decide not to trade them at the deadline, are they going to still be pieces of the future? There's a lot of things jumbling around right now. Um, but I, I think, that, I don't know if you can salvage this roster. It's hard, especially when money's not going to be an issue for this team going forward. Uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays, of course, have their deals coming up soon. Kaner could still get something along those lines of what he's making right now, but Jonathan Taves is not going to be making anywhere close to $10.5 million. So the Blackhawks are going to have a lot of money, and I feel like because of that, um, you're probably going to trade as many pieces as you can right now to give yourself so many opportunities in the future. That's what I would be doing if I was in control of the Chicago Blackhawks, and I think that's really the only option they have based on what we've seen out of this team so far this season, not even being close to a Stanley Cup contender. The final question I wanted to answer today comes from at Captain Crommy on Twitter, of course, who's a longtime listener of the show. I appreciate it. Captain Crommy asked, do the Hawks even have a single defenseman that you would consider to be a top pairing player on a Stanley Cup contending team on their current roster? Well, Seth Jones is, is the only one who could be capable of that. Even Connor Murphy at his best, he's always been more of a three or a four than a one or a two. And 
Jake McCabe, I kind of think, is in that same boat. He's probably a three or four. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, he's not even that. And I get that it's been a, a rough first year for McCabe in Chicago. It's also been a rough year for Murphy, too. But people are so quick to forget how good these guys were. Like, Connor Murphy was the anchor on defense for the Blackhawks the last three seasons. And now, because he's had a bad 55 games or so, everyone's calling for him to be traded when they just gave him an extension. That's probably not going to happen. He's also one of the leaders on this team on and off the ice. So I I don't really get the hatred for Murphy when he's been really good for the Blackhawks over the past three seasons. This is not the year he wanted to have. Um, But I I don't understand why people are so quick to jump on him when it's not his fault alone that this team is horrible. Same with Jake McCabe. Um, I do think he's more of a second pairing guy than a first pairing guy ever, but He's better than people give him credit for. He, he's actually been pretty decent these last two or three months. It was just a horrible start to the year for him when he was kind of trying to get situated with this new team and the new system. Um, but as for Seth Jones, it's tough. I don't know if he's a top pairing guy on a Stanley Cup contending team. I, I don't think we know the answer to that because um, when he's at his best, he's a difference maker. No way about it. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the offensive game. He, he's not an anchor on defense. He's not a number one. I don't think Seth Jones is number one, but I think he could be a very good number two. And I know people are going to hate the price tag that comes with that. And maybe even Seth Jones could be a number one. Listen, this is a guy who he's kind of had a roller coaster of a career, right? I thought he's been pretty good this season. Not great. The Blackhawks need him to definitely pick up the offense a little bit. Um, But I think if he were surrounded by better teammates, his game would be even better than it is right now. And on a terrible Blackhawks team, he's been one of their better players this season. I don't care what anybody says. If you watch the Blackhawks, yes, Seth Jones is guilty of making turnovers in the defensive zone from time to time. And I think his inconsistency on a nightly basis, that's what what more so makes him a number two defenseman than a number one. Um, But when he's on top of his game, I mean, You can't deny that he makes an impact all over the ice for the Blackhawks. So I think it depends on kind of what kind of team you have, but I do believe Seth Jones can be a top pairing guy. Maybe not your number one shutdown guy back there. I think you need to give him a little help. You can't let him play 30 minutes a game with every, you know, every defenseman on the team and expect a ton of success. I think, you know, giving him a guy like Calvin DeHaan on his left side, that shows you Seth can be an offensive difference maker and kind of and kind of go out and play a little bit freer. Um, I think that's kind of the situation that he's in. I, I don't think he's the number one guy, but you give him a good piece there, and he's he's a top pairing player when he's at his best. So um, aside from that, though, yeah, the Blackhawks defense is a question mark, especially when Murphy and McCabe aren't playing their best. I still think their ceilings are second player, second pairing players, but they got to show that more consistently and. They have not done that at all this season for the most part. So um, it's a bit concerning that the Blackhawks went out and um, made some defensive moves, and they're still not the sharpest defensive team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But to wrap up the question, um, you can all debate over whether you think Seth Jones is a top-pairing player or not. I think he is, um, but I know there are plenty of people out there that feel differently. But I think at his best, Seth Jones is arguably one of the best defenseman in the entire NHL, maybe just not on a nightly basis. All right, folks, I think that will wrap up Monday, February 28th episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show and be sure 
to go and follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Lockdown Fantasy Hockey podcast as hosts Steel Roden and Philip Livingstone, Flip Livingstone, excuse me, help you become the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all platforms right now, so be sure to check out Lockdown Fantasy Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talkin' Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, feel free to email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me on any one of my Twitter accounts, or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thanks again for listening to another episode of Locked On Blackhawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.